<clears throat> what is love? Baby, don't hurt me no more. Sorry. Sorry, YouTube. <laughs> Please don't copyright strike my video, even though that was a very terrible attempt. Okay, in this video, I'm going to give you some core differences between the type of love we see expressed in society, the culture, and world compared to the love that is taught in the Bible. And yes, there's a very big difference. When I was in the New Age, I had a complete distortion of what I understood love to be. But at the time, I truly perceived love to be a deeper spiritual law. It was emotional, but it was more than that. I thought of it as like a universal power used to wield peace and harmony, sheerly based on the power of my thoughts and feelings and how I treated others. In my mind, it was through the power of love that we'd bring a sort of awakening through humanity. And this was manifested in many different ways. So when I started learning about what the Bible actually taught about love as defined by God, I'll be honest, it took a very long time of intentional study to unlearn what I was taught. For years, there had been certain Bible scriptures about love that were constantly quoted by New Age teachers to support their teachings of love and claim that this is what Jesus was really trying to teach. And only those who were spiritually in tune with this teaching would see and understand it. So let's just say it was a confusing and lonely process at times to try to understand the biblical concept of true godly love, but I'm glad I did it because some of what I learned I'd like to share in today's video. So to start, I think it's really important here as well to define the four different ways the Bible describes love. In English, we have one word, love, but in Greek, there are four different words for love. First, there's eros, which is described as like an erotic love. It was more of a passionate definition and referred to sexual love. I would say maybe Song of Solomon in the Old Testament would fit in this category. Uh, another one is philia, which was a love of deep friendship and partnership. Uh, someone once described philia love as possibly the highest love that one is capable of without God's help. I think of the love that Jesus had with his disciples or Ruth and Naomi or David and Jonathan when I think of this type of love. Another word for love was storge. It referred to a family love, the kind of love there is between a parent and a child or between family members in general. And the fourth word for love is agape. This is typically the unique type of love I'm referring to here in this video. It described a love without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It's a love that loves even when love is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. It's a whole different realm of love. So what I'm going to do here is to get into some scriptures straight from the Bible and then compare it with how it's defined around us and for us by society. My goal is to express the actual biblical view of this, whether people agree with it or not. I'm, I'm just letting scripture be what it is and simply reading it. I think that this alone will show some of the 
the most glaring differences. So there's a lot <laughs> of this in 1 John, and I will have most of my scriptures from there. The word love is mentioned almost 50 times in this very short letter. Uh, there are a lot of scriptures from 1 John that I feel necessary to read because honestly, I really don't want to shortchange you guys on this topic. It's important to know that there's there is indeed a vast difference between love as our society and culture defines it and godly biblical love. And to be clear, before I get into these scriptures, John wrote this letter to Christians to give them direction. The first scripture we're going to read is 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So here it says that if you say you know Jesus, but you don't do what he says, then you're basically a liar, liar, pants on fire. I find it incredibly ironic when someone claims that we need to love and accept others as Jesus did, then they don't obey what he says or even know what he taught. Jesus literally says in John 4, 15, that if we're followers of him and love him, then we will obey what he commands. In this way, you're expressing love when you obey God. This is how love is made complete. Now the world would have us believe that loving God means that we know God if we're in tune with what we want and are able to make this happen. They say they know Jesus and that they display his love when they can coexist and tolerate one another. Except if you disagree with them, <laughs> then by their standard and definition, you're not loving. To them, Jesus is a sort of enlightened human or, or just good person who taught good, peaceful life lessons, no different than Confucius or Gandhi. For the world, God is all love and nothing else. There's no justice, no wrath, nothing. There are other attributes to God. And guys, let me tell you, this caricature God of love that the world has made up is not really loving or good at all. This is an incomplete, weak, and powerless God that people have made up. The God of scripture is holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, never changing, and perfectly just. This is everything revealed in the person and work of Jesus. The second scripture we're going to read is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So I would say that this one is pretty obvious. So when he says world here, he's speaking about humanity in general. This is about loving the material things that give us honor, power, and makes us feel important through human eyes. So simply put, love for the world is incompatible with love for the Father. 
Therefore, if one claims to love God and yet loves the world, there's something wrong with his claim to love God. You literally can't have both according to the Bible. It's like saying you love your wife and the woman you're cheating on her with. It doesn't follow. And verse 16 lays out beautifully the power, the powerful appeal to our senses and how we live by our senses. But the point made in verse 17 is that, hey, this won't last. We want our instant gratification, but being in the will of God, ah, all right, that's the long run. That's, that's what truly matters. So what I see that people do is they try to add Jesus on top of their already long list of other beliefs that work for them. They love Jesus, they say, but they also love Krishna, Buddha, other spirits. They also love the way that they're living their life. They like living in sin. They don't want to think of it as sin, but it is. They just add Jesus to it and say that they love him, but they live a life completely opposite of what he taught. So they take everything else and they just, oh, we'll, we'll add Jesus in on this. And you know who else did that? Yeah, the Old Testament nations. In 2 Kings chapter 17, it mentions how each national group made their own gods along with worshiping Yahweh. And I'd argue that people today are no different. It's like bringing home 10 other men to meet your husband and trying to explain to him how you love him. And yeah, you made a promise to him, but you're also going to be with these other men too. To the world, love is about feeling good. Like anything that makes you feel good is considered loving. And anything that speaks against what makes you feel good is unloving. Do what you want as long as you're happy and not hurting anyone is usually what people say. But honestly, at the core, this is very empty and selfish. The next scripture we have is 1 John chapter 3, verses 13 through 23. It says, do not be surprised that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was saying that to hate is just as bad as murder. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Um, sorry, guys, before I go on, I just got to let you know, if you hear a loud buzzing saw, chainsaw, it's because my neighbor apparently is like, I don't know, building a house in his backyard next door. Uh, it's kind of loud, so if you hear it, that's what it is. Okay, so here in this verse, it's saying that the love for the children of God, your fellow believers, is a key indication of your being saved. 
This is why so many people, especially online, question the salvation of some who claim to be Christians because they're so bitter and difficult to talk to. They're just angry. He says we've been passed from life to death and life looks like loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying, do you say to yourself that is one of Christ's people, that is one who bears Christ's cross, that is one of the children of God. Therefore, I love him and take delight in his company. Then that is evidence that you are not of the world. So let me put it this way. Verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Would you die for your brother or sister that you're ranting at online through a screen over a non-essential belief? Do you actually have that type of love for them or do we just talk about it or do we live it? We should look different than the world. We should be the example. In verse 20 and 23 is where I want to make the biggest comparison to the culture and society around us. First, I want to emphasize that John is writing to Christians here, not to people who haven't accepted Jesus as Lord. So he's in essence saying to believers that you might feel guilty, feel guilty before God because your feelings tell you so. But God is greater than your feelings. He's greater than your heart. He knows everything. When your heart condemns you, God is greater. Are you walking in love, but you don't feel him? He's saying we cannot base our relationship with him purely on how we feel in his presence. It's either the enemy or an overactive conscience that's making you feel that way. It's making you feel guilty. This is when we trust in what God's word says about our standing, not how we feel about it. The world has it backwards though. It says that the truth and God are your heart and your feelings. And this is very destructive and terribly subjective and has caused a floodgate of pain for millions of people. So how do we remedy this? Well, we follow Jesus and his commandments. We do what pleases him, not us. This is where people pull a Lord of the Rings moment where they're almost there. They're ready to throw the cycle of pain in the fire but refuse to because they want their own power. For the believer, it's thy will be done. For the world, it's my will be done. And that temptation is extremely powerful and most will give into it. The next scripture is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, this is a big concept of what it means to be made complete in God's love. I think this is so cool because in verse seven and eight specifically, it says that God is love and that whoever loves 
has been born of God. So of course, people who aren't believers can display love. We're image bearers of God. This is a human trait. However, according to the Bible, it's a sort of incomplete love. We just read in 1 John chapter 2 that God's love is made complete through obedience to God and the Bible. So yes, they love, but it's like a short-changed love in God's eyes. It's insufficient. In God's perfect and full display of love, his love is perfected in us as it says in verse 12. And I think this is a very important thing to mention that love is only one attribute of who God is. Love is defined by God's character, not the other way around. So other attributes of God are holiness, all-powerful, all-knowing, and so many others, which I'll probably make a video about soon too. <laughs> so don't worry. This is where we see that God is love, not the other way around, that love is God, which is definitely the world's version of this. And oh boy, does the world have a different view on this? Because <laughs> as humans, we sort of see love as its own works-based religion, where you have to work for someone's love. And once you have it, it's the roller coaster of conditions to keep that love. So to say love wins or love is love, for example, implies a conditional love that thinks that no boundaries is a good thing. So follow me here on this, okay? It's using positive words, a slogan that looks meaningful to imply that you need to conform to this version of love or you lose. There is no love for your enemy or even most of what Jesus taught himself on the Sermon on the Mount in this perspective. The love of the world is incomplete and changes with the ebb and flow of culture. God's love is unchangeable and perfect. And it's only in his love does the world actually make sense. This is why his love is explained as perfect and our imperfect attempts to walk in love without him are perfected through him. Verse 10 says that in this is love. Real love, agape love, is not defined by our love for God, but by his love for us. His love for us initiates our relationship of love with him. Our love only responds to his love for us. We can't love God the way we should unless we are receiving and living in his love. This flows into the rest of the passage in verse 16 to 21. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Basically, it's saying as much as we can know the completeness of God's love now, we will know it all the more in the day of judgment. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, so this was actually a very personal verse for me. Uh, verse 18 was a huge passage quoted to me in the New Age, and I still hear this quoted by non-believers and even well-meaning Christians when they want to tell others that they shouldn't be afraid of something. <laughs> for example, for myself personally in the New Age, this was a verse used to display the, the different vibrational frequencies someone could be on based on the energy they were putting out. Uh, so for example, the highest vibration of all of them was love. You couldn't get any higher than that. And it was explained as the most powerful force in the universe. Then you'd work your way down from there into negative energies. And the further down you went, the worse it got. You'd have anger, hatred, anxiety, and at the very polar opposite of love, you'd have fear. So this is just some insight on how some people might see this passage. And this is not what John is saying here. John just got done saying love is complete in God's love and talks about the judgment. The type of fear he's speaking of here isn't about fearing God in awe or in his holiness, but in a more literal sense. So he's saying to the believer that we have nothing to fear of God on judgment day because we're in his love. By him showing us this perfect love, then we can love him back. So in the world, we typically have an easy time loving others who agree with us on everything and don't try to tell us what to do, right? This is a superficial love that's based on acceptance, even if it's bad for them or not even true. And as we saw, we know who the children of God are, the ones who obey his commands. What are his commandments? The greatest commandment is to love God and love people. It does not say love your God and only love the people that agree with you. If we take scriptural love, when he says to love people, it's loving them as scripture defines love, as Jesus loved the church in truth and love, choosing to do what's right, not what's easy. Jesus even says in Luke 6, 46, to those who are following him, why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? So when people throw in the face of the Christian that we're not following Jesus, when we don't align completely with their beliefs, this is just simply false and never something Jesus taught. It was always all about him and obeying Jesus. And a lot of the country and Western Christianity in general thinks we mold God, but the Bible says it's the opposite. God molds us. Okay, I know that was a lot, but there's more. I do think that it was really important to define what we're looking at here. And if you haven't noticed, 1 John is a key read on this topic. I have one more that I'm going to quote, and it's probably one of the most popular verses that even non-Christians know and maybe even use at weddings of unbelievers. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-7. through I've read this verse many times, but there's a key element here in these verses that really defines love that almost seems anti-cultural. Starting in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. Another translation puts it that love never loses faith, hopes all things, endures all things through every circumstance. Okay, this is actually a really dense scripture, but I tell you, I read this so differently after living through 2020, especially verse 6, which I emphasize. I'm going to focus on this scripture for a second. True Godly, biblical love does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices with truth. Love is loving the truth. Love is acknowledging there's a truth. Never in my lifetime did I think that I would be seeing my country and world and the condition that it's in when it comes to a lack of acknowledging simple truth. Truth is now what you make it, and it's what you find it to be. Relativism is no longer just confined to just the New Age concepts. This is everywhere. People can live their truths, whether it's actually true or not. This is what the world respects now. And to live in godly, perfected love means living in the truth, whether the world sees it or not. Some claim that these Christian values stand in the way of happiness for many. As my good friend Frank Turek says, people are on a happiness quest, not a truth quest. The world thinks that if it makes them happy, then it must be true. And from this stems a lot of really empty and disorienting definitions of what love is. Ironically, a lot of people hate what Jesus taught and what Christians stand for so much that they're willing to live in these lies out of hatred not because they're actually true. And this is everywhere in our country right now. And I have to say, I see this on both sides of the spectrum. Let me hand this back to believers for a second. If you're a Christian and have such hatred for people that have opposing views than you do, whether it's religious, political, personal, whatever, even when they speak truth, some Christians refuse to believe it out of that hatred. This is not biblical, and we should hold ourselves to a higher standard. Of course, this is to say, I see this on the other side as well. They live in lies because it's convenient and popular. It goes back to what I was saying about the empty and disorienting definition of love. And the actual irony is this is what they will call love. And if you don't follow the societal definition of this love, then you're seen as unloving to the world. See how tricky that is? Their definition of love is actually just loyalty to the system. Even if the love that they follow creates a world of lies and untruths. Love is now a branding strategy to make you obedient to what society says is normal and loving. Biblical love is anti-cultural. 
and for many stands in the way of what the world would consider progress. Who decides what's true and false anymore depends on who's in power. The value of truth claims depends on who's making them. So all this to say that in real and perfect godly love is truth. Truth and true love is found in the person of Jesus. So all that being said, I really truly hope that this little study has been a blessing to you and has helped you understand this concept a little bit more. Let me know what you think in the comments if you'd like, and be sure to check out the description for more resources on this topic.